the theme this year is full. And as you well know, I've been in a number of series this year uh, that are part of a uh, uh, an expanded series on Father Knows Best because the way for you to be full is to live by the precepts, the, the wisdom of our Heavenly Father. He's not in any way trying to inhibit our fun, our happiness, our pleasure. He knows what works and what doesn't. Amen. And you need to realize that's what the Bible is. It is the distillation, the condensation of wisdom of our Heavenly Father And his path always leads to fulfillment. And recently I began to talk about how to confront your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. And I'm talking from this subject today, part two of Healing a Divided Heart. This is the series I'm in right now. And um, we've been talking about Samson. He was supernaturally strong, right? Strong enough, in fact... That he could defeat a thousand of the enemy by himself with nothing but the jawbone of a donkey. Though he was supernaturally strong, every weakness or every strength rather has a corresponding weakness. He was physically strong, but he was weak and flawed. And he never addressed those weaknesses. And as a result, the man that could kill a thousand by himself failed in defeat to one little enemy named Delilah that I bet wasn't 120 pounds soaking wet. And you, you can, you can, if you don't deal with your, with your weaknesses, they will come to haunt you. In James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, you can be flawed and love God, That verse says it right there. You can be flawed. You can have weaknesses. Because one of the things the devil will seek to use to destroy you in this human endeavor is to tell you, you don't love God, not if you really do that. Do what you're doing. Struggling with what you're struggling with. Listen, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Endures. There's only one way to get through it sometimes. It's grit your teeth and endure it. Amen. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt, he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Watch it because there's a progression. You're tempted when you're drawn away by your own desires. That's the flesh. And you're enticed. Well, what is enticed? The flesh is what is enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it is now moved from the flesh to the mind. Conceived means there's a plan. Something is developing. And it then gives birth to sin. So you have the desire that if it's not addressed in the flesh, moves to the thoughts. And once it gets there and begins to occupy your thinking, You're only a short step away from action. And the action is called sin. Amen. And then sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What you saw in this drama a moment ago was one type of death. But fortunately, because of the grace of God portrayed in the drama, they brought life back to a family that for all practical purposes had just died. 
so many people in this series that I'm in. In fact, in the over 30 years I've been here as your pastor, and it was 30 years last month, I have never received the amount of feedback on any sermon series I've ever done as I am on this one. And some of you have talked to me about your broken homes, severed relationship with kids that you don't talk to, won't talk to you anymore. Grandkids you, you can't see. Exes that the marriage never should have broken up. And the simple truth is, because it went through this progression, it led to death. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to be real transparent. Eight o'clock this morning. Eight o'clock this morning. This morning, a plane took off for LAX. I've got seven grandchildren and one great-grandchild. Six of my grandchildren are serving the Lord. One got messed up by getting in the wrong company and got hooked on drugs. And she's on a plane right now to be put into a rehab center. And I want you to help me pray. I don't say that to expose her problem for others to ridicule, but to let you know that we go through things as families. Hello. And I stand up here preaching to you. Don't you think for a minute I'm not a human being? Don't you think my kids are not humans? Amen. But what happens in an addiction? You literally, it moves from sin. Remember the enticement of the flesh that is not addressed to the thought processes that are not addressed into action that is sin. And then it begins to grow until it produces death. And that death is a full-blown addiction. It can be pornography. It can be drugs. It can be um, immoral acts, affairs, any number of things. It can be anger. That if you do not manage it, it will gain control of your life. And what happens is, is it creates new neural pathways. And it literally changes the way you think. It does. The way your brain works. And so we've often said around churches, well, bless God, repent and get over it. That works in the first stages. But if it goes beyond that, it becomes an addiction. And at that point, you are now its slave. And so listen to what God said. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, you're seeing the progression. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And your little family can be threatened. And it goes on to say in Hosea chapter 10, verse 1 through 2, how prosperous Israel is. A luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. But the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. And what God is saying is, is my blessing, the more I bless you, the more you use that to fund things that are wrong. A lifestyle that is not pleasing to me. And it really is true that you can be a better Christian sometimes before you were blessed than after you were blessed. And some of us wonder why we're not blessed. It's because God loves us enough that he's protecting us. And if we could get this and this under control, then we could be blessed. And he goes on to say the more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars, which were pillars they raised to Idols, and here's what you must understand. Behind those idols were demonic spirits. Don't just think they worshipped idols. They were actually worshipping demonic spirits that these idols were caricatures of. 
And then God says in verse 2 of Hosea 10, their heart is divided. Say that, their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. And what has to happen sometimes for God to be able to save us and rescue us, he has to crush the things around us that we've allowed to be erected as pagan gods. My sermon today is overcoming temptation. It's best to leave the honey alone. You want to overcome temptation, leave the honey alone. Father, would you speak to us today, I pray. In your holy name, the name of Jesus, get a a hold of our hearts. Speak to us redemptively with love because we love you, but we are an imperfect people, every one of us are. And we're all in process trying to become more like you. Deal with these things that we must confront, each and every one of us must confront, I ask in your name, and help us to master these things in the flesh that we can be what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name again I ask it, and everybody shouted and said, Amen. I need to begin today by mentioning once more, in case I didn't make it abundantly clear when I started speaking on this subject, that I am in no way referring to any particular situations that might currently be going on or recently have occurred in someone's life. If you're dealing with things that this message touches, you might feel like I'm telling everyone here about you. I'm not. Amen. If this message touches you, on the other hand, or someone you know, it was meant to touch you, but not in the sense that it singled you out or anyone else out. I don't do that. And now over 30 years of pastoring here, I've never once taken personal issues, either my own or anyone else's to the pulpit. Never. Do not do that. I will not preach personal issues. I will preach principles. I'm not going to preach people. I'm going to preach principles. Amen. I'm dealing here with very common issues and weaknesses of the flesh. And I'm talking about things you won't often hear talked about in churches these days. Any of us in this room can and no doubt have been tempted by our flesh. If we haven't, we're lying. Jesus was tempted in all points like as under we, yet without sin. If we've ever fallen, I promise you that you're not alone. Amen. If we haven't fallen, trust me when I say that we owe it to the grace and the goodness of God that we haven't fallen and not to any strength we possess. Hello, somebody. So if you know of any situations and this message makes you think of anything you heard about through the grapevine, amen, where someone has been fallen or caught, I just want to tell you there's a lot more that hadn't been caught yet. Amen. And you should pray for that person and don't look down your nose at them. If you haven't fallen, don't judge them, but rather say there, but for the grace of God, go I. Amen. Amen. And Boudreaux was born and raised a Baptist and he lived in South Louisiana. Now, again, if we have visitors, I'm Kajan, I'm Cajun. All right. 
And so we like to laugh at ourselves. So I'm going to let you peer in the window at a little Cajun culture. Each Friday night after work, he would fire up his outdoor grill and cook a steak. Now, all of his neighbors were Catholic. And since it was Lent, they were forbidden to eat meat on Fridays. And the strong, delicious aroma from the grilled steaks was causing such a problem for the Catholic faithful that lived all around him that they finally went and talked to their priest. And the priest came to visit Boudreaux and suggested that Boudreaux convert to the Catholicism. After several classes and much study, Boudreaux attended mass. And as the priest sprinkled holy water over him, he said, you were born a Baptist. You were raised a Baptist, but you're now a Catholic. And Boudreaux's neighbors were all greatly relieved and let out a deep sigh until Friday night arrived. And the wonderful aroma of grilled steak filled the neighborhood. And the priest was immediately called by the neighbors. And as he rushed into Boudreaux's yard, clutching his rosary and preparing to scold him, he stopped in amazement and watched. For there stood Boudreaux, clutching a small bottle of water, which he carefully sprinkled over the grilled meat and chanted, you was born a cow, you was raised a cow, but you now a catfish. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can sprinkle holy water on this flesh all you want to. It's still flesh. And you're going to see some of the props that we put up here that were designed by uh, Scott McKinney. Built these, uh, just amazing to help me illustrate this message. That every one of us have temptations of the flesh. And there are temptations that are waiting to drag us down. We have this gym equipment here because the only way you're going to succeed in resisting temptation is to do resistance training. You've got to learn to say no to this flesh. And in today's culture, do you know how little they tell you to say no? They teach you instead that whatever you feel like doing, baby, it's your world. Go ahead and do it. Can't judge anybody, you know, and, and that it works against what Christianity teaches because Christianity teaches that you are supposed to mortify or crucify this flesh. Now we get the, mis- the mistaken idea that when you get in the church that your flesh becomes sanctified. It doesn't. John Osteen, one of the great spiritual fathers of this city, said many years ago, the problem with we spirit-filled people is we forget what Jesus said. That which is born flesh is flesh. And that which is born spirit is spirit. We try to make the flesh become spirit. It never will be. Amen. Boudreaux, I'm sorry, that's not a catfish, no matter how many, how much holy water you sprinkle on that steak. Amen. The Old Testament Nazarite was an acknowledgement of the inability of this world to satisfy man's need for a relationship with his creator. There were a number of Nazarites you've heard about in the Bible. And being a Nazarite provided a way to draw close to God. Righteousness is God's plan for mankind to live a fulfilling, satisfied, and prosperous life. Any lifestyle other than pursuing God's righteousness results in pain and suffering. World doesn't teach you that. 
But you, where's it at? It's supposed to be up on the screen. Yes, thank you. Amen. The world tells you that you do what you want. Follow your bliss. No, you don't follow your, bli- your bliss. You follow your blisters. That's what you should follow. Amen. In doing this character study on Samson that we've been in, who was a Nazarite, the Bible also reveals to us as we begin to study this subject several other people who were Nazarites that you might not have realized were. Samuel the prophet was a Nazarite. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. They were lifelong Nazarites. Along with Samson, those three are the three lifelong Nazarites we read about in the Bible. Now, I mention that because a Nazarite could actually be a Nazarite for shorter periods of time, usually for either 30 or 100 days. On two different occasions, we read where Paul had also taken the vows of being a Nazarite, once for a time in Acts 18 and again with four other men in Acts chapter 21. You didn't realize you could be a Nazarite for shorter periods, but you could. The vow of the Nazarite existed because of this hunger in every person to know God. It was placed in you when you were created. That sense of hunger is the sense of emptiness that remains in your heart and soul no matter how great your achievements are, how much stuff you amass and acquire. You may not realize it. But a lot of successful people, if, if you don't know God, all successful people are empty. Ask Kate Spade who took her life this week. Ask Anthony Bourdain who took his life this week. The spade of celebrity suicides is shocking. Amen. Because there is an emptiness inside, a deep felt need that only God can feel. It has been described during the centuries by various philosophers as a whole within our being that is shaped like God, that nothing else can feel but him. It has also been called the emptiness that cries louder than the howling wind. Amen. It has also been called by Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl, the existential vacuum. At times that hunger can really begin to speak to us. That usually happens in certain seasons. For example, if you've worked hard, dedicated yourself to achieving a certain task or a raise or a promotion or building a business and you get there to the top of the ladder and guess what? You realize you're empty. You got what you strived for. You got what you fought for, but it wasn't satisfying. And at that time, there can be a hunger on the inside and you begin to look for something to fill it. And it's actually a very dangerous place. This is where the prophet Elijah was when after defeating the prophets of Baal, he experienced this this deep funk, a depression. And he said, God, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. Why? Because he thought that having conquered the prophets of Baal, it would release, you know, within him a sense of achievement and accomplishment, but it didn't. He felt empty because goals met. If you don't further your relationship with God, even when these goals are met will be ultimately unsatisfying. Amen. At other times you feel the need to draw closer to God simply because you realize you've drifted away from him and you become spiritually hollow and empty. 
What a song. It's a slow fade. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. And every once in a while, we've all got to go to God and say, God, I don't want to go through the motions. I need my passion back. And I need the fire back in my heart. Hello, somebody. And you recognize the need to draw closer to God. Because you're just going through the motions. In the law of Moses, there was a provision made that if a person wanted to draw closer to God in consecration, they could become a Nazarite. That's not to be confused with Nazareth, a small town, or Nazarene, which refers to a person born in Nazareth. Nazarites were people who were set apart to honor God with their lives. The laws governing the life of the Nazarite are found in the Mosaic Code in Numbers chapter 6. A person could choose to be a Nazarite for a time they would specify, normally 30 to 60 days or a hundred days rather. No one told them how long that time needed to be. It was their decision and based entirely upon their personal hunger for God. Usually a person made this decision for themselves, but in Samson's situation, it was completely different and that he was chosen by God before he was ever conceived. And he was told that he would be a Nazarite from his birth. God set him apart. I'm talking to people in this room that have been set apart by God. Amen. When I was, before I got saved, I never fit in that world out there. I tried, but there was a mark on me from heaven. Amen. No matter what I did, I'd look around and I just did not fit. It's because God had a mark on my life. I was set apart. God has set you apart and nothing else in this world will satisfy no party, no nightclub, no drugs, no relationship, no amount of money, cars, or fame is going to do it. Amen. The decision to become a Nazarite required the person doing this step of consecration to take vows before God, where they obligated themselves to live by these vows. These vows were a binding contract, legally binding. They were required to do three things as part of their vows. Number one, you could not drink wine or even eat grapes, whether fresh or dried. You were not even permitted to touch a grapevine. Number two, they were also to not cut their hair for the duration of their vows, which in Samson's case was his entire life. In John the Baptist's case, in Samuel the prophet's case, their entire lives. And also, thirdly, the Nazarite was forbidden to touch anything that was dead. Now, these prohibitions for the person who chose to become a Nazarite had obvious and clear spiritual connotations. Their meaning encompassed both the horizontal and the vertical dimensions of life. By the horizontal dimension, I mean those things that have to do with one's mission in life and your destiny. This is important because every person, I teach this often, that God created was created but for a specific purpose, you have a destiny. Don't allow anything to diminish that. Hello, somebody. 
Don't allow anybody to tell you you evolved from something that used to swing in a tree. No, baby. You have God's fingerprints on your life because he fashioned you and sent you into this world. He ordained you like he did the prophet Jeremiah for a particular cause. That's the horizontal dimension. You've got something to add for good and for God to this world. The vertical dimension I refer to is your relationship with the one who created you for his honor and glory. Your sense of being full and enjoying your life to the maximum is the result of you making both of these spheres of life important to you and seeking to discover and to maximize all you can be in both areas. That is, you are to develop your gifting, discover your call, your calling, devote yourself to it. Don't be satisfied with anything less than excellence. That's on the horizontal plane. In the vertical dimension, you are to seek after God. If that means you got to do like the Nazarite and step away from for a little while just to devote your attention to God you got to do that because ultimately you were created for his glory I don't care how many Facebook page followers you have if you're not bringing him glory you're not satisfied on the inside hello somebody The Nazarite could not use alcohol and other intoxicants for reasons. These three prohibitions, don't touch grapes, don't use wine, don't even touch a grapevine, don't cut your hair, and don't touch anything dead, all had significant spiritual meaning. Do not use alcohol and other intoxicants, God told the Nazarite, because they will impair your judgment. Don't... By you're not supposed to use wine and grapes, and this symbolized the need to live your life soberly and to not watch it now be swept away in something that causes you to lose control of your emotions or your fleshly appetites. I'm going somewhere. Because you saw what happened in the drama a while ago. What starts out as a loving family that was right here a moment ago, that loving family gets torn apart because somebody's emotions get swept away. And it didn't hurt that there was some alcohol to help the emotions get carried further than they needed to get carried. Oh, it's getting a little quiet. I'm sorry, but I got to preach in the house today. Hello, somebody. The Nazarite did not want his judgment impaired. He didn't want the impulses of the flesh to be released and unrestrained. He wanted to keep control of things that might cause him problems later on. How many people have I counseled through the years that said, Pastor, if only I had not taken that step. You know, I might have saved myself some heartache and some pain. Now, having said that, you're asking, does the Bible forbid any alcohol at all? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be as honest as I can in this series. The Bible does not forbid a glass of wine at a meal. You can't make it say that. 
You can go back to the Hebrew, Greek. You could turn it inside out, throw some Latin, some Aramaic, put a little Spanish flavor on it, throw in some French and some Russian, and you still can't make it say that a glass of wine at a meal is wrong. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't drink. I don't drink any wine. But you're not supposed to ever get drunk. Amen. Do not be drunk with wine wherein there's excess. But here's the problem. It's a slow fade. And if you're like me, I've got an addictive personality. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do 10,000%. And if it's drink Coke Zero, I'm going to have one in my hand the whole day. Amen. And it's better Coke Zero than... Jack can stay home. I got something else I'll carry. You you know what I mean? I don't need all of that stuff going on in my life. And if it's preaching a sermon, I'm going to put 60 hours into the preparation of it. That's just who I am. And so I know that being who I am, I need to leave certain things alone. Not saying you're like me. That's me. Amen. Because if you... Do not master it. It will master you. And so you need to understand this. When I played music, it was 12 hours a day. Amen. And that's just me. By not cutting their hair, the Nazarite symbolized his separation from the world. And the fact that he had been set apart by God. You could look at him. Long hair. You knew that something's going on with this guy. It represented the fact that as believers were required to live by a different type of character. And a higher standard of devotion and dedication than the rest of the world. Don't you look at your neighbor to see how you're supposed to be living. Or what is right or wrong. Hello. In today's world, all kind of stuff is crawling out now. And people are no longer looking at the word of God. They're saying, well, I'm this. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I go along with the flow. And I'm just throwing that in because politics is so hot right now. Amen. Amen. Don't you be swept away at any of that stuff. You're a citizen of heaven. That's what you actually are. Amen. You're required to live by a higher code of integrity. I often hear people volunteering their opinions on what is sin and what isn't. And while it's good to know so you don't do anything harmful or damaging to yourself or your loved ones, I want to say this. Their opinions about sin are not necessarily offered from the perspective of, I don't want to do that if that's wrong. It's more like, what can I do to get right to the edge, you know? And is it okay? I think I can push the envelope a little bit. Look, you need to stay back away from the edge and have some boundaries in your life. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Tell somebody, leave the honey alone. Amen. I'm going there. Yeah, I am. Leave the honey alone if you want to avoid temptation. Amen. And I'm not into rules. Religion is all about rules. I've already tried that. I came from the Green Berets of of religion, the SEAL team. Amen. And that didn't work. It still didn't fix this on the inside. Religion is man's way to God. Christ is God's way to man. I need him. That's what I need. And if you're actually looking for definitions of sin, go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. These are things you will not go to heaven doing. Amen. And the sacred texts are pretty clear. For example, they're called the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Did you notice that? 
Amen. So the Bible is clear on stuff you need to stay away from. Amen. But what is missing from many of these conversations is that there's a difference in sin and weights. Lay aside every sin and the weight. You see, some stuff isn't wrong. It just slows you down. You just get tired before the race is finished. Hello. You need to let that go because that's unique to you too. Lay aside the sin, but also the weights. And the third restriction was that the Nazarite was forbidden to touch anything that was dead. This is symbolic of the Nazarite and not allowing himself to come into contact with anything that wasn't breathing life. As a child of God, we should not be involved with those things whose only defining characteristic is it smells like, it looks like, and it produces death. If there's death in it, leave it alone. Say it. If there's death in it, leave it alone. Leave it alone. By the very life he lived, the Nazarite represented the true God who stood for life and represented by his abstinence from these things, his separation in his hair, his abstinence with wine, his abstinence in touching anything that was dead. He separized, uh, he, he rather symbolized his hunger for God. Amen. And listen, amen. You need to know the vows of the Nazarite were voluntary. God's not putting a gun to your head. You need to fall so in love with him that you don't want to get messed up in this stuff out there. I wish I could hear an amen. Second Corinthians six sixteen. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Put your hand on your heart and say, God lives in here. Amen. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. Oh, God, have mercy. If it's dead, tell somebody, leave it alone. Amen. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God wants to receive you when you separate yourself to him. Doesn't mean you got to withdraw from society and go to a monastery somewhere on a desert island. No, just keep your heart from being defiled. Now, Samson was a Nazarite, and now it's going to get good. Turn, turn to somebody and say, it's going to get good. Amen. He was meant to be set apart for God his entire life. He had an incredible opportunity to know God. Only three people in the Bible that we know of are Nazarites from their birth. God chose him and set him apart to be a Nazarite and to, through his life represent him. One day, Samson encountered a lion. In the scripture, lions represent the enemy. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because you're, say it, adversary. Come on, say it, adversary. You have an adversary. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I faced a few lions in my life's journey. Anybody in this house faced a lion or two along the way. 
Lions can come in many forms. They can be an addiction to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography, to lust, to gambling. Lions want to tear you apart. And here's what you need to know. Samson's biggest lion was not that cat that he encountered. It was a woman named Delilah. Hello. Amen. Samson killed his lion through God's help and went on about his business. And the scripture says later, he came by that way again. That's part of our problem. If you want to overcome temptation, don't be covering the same ground all over again. He turned aside to see the lion he killed. That's when you get in trouble. Amen. I'm not talking about some dried out lion, toothless, fangless lion. I'm talking about a lion. I'm talking about a vivacious living lion. Amen. And he's got a, uh, can I preach to you this morning? One thing for sure, I may not see you again, but you'll remember this message before I'm done. He killed his lion and he went back to see it again. And that's what we do. We go back to see what we killed in our life. Listen, don't call it. Don't text it. Don't drive down the street by it. Hello, somebody. If you kill your lion, leave it alone. Tell somebody, leave it alone. Leave your lion alone. If through God's help you killed it, don't go do CPR on it. Don't try to resurrect it. Call 911 and the paramedics. Leave it alone. Don't be walking back over the same ground. Galatians 2.18. For I, I build again those things which I destroyed. I make myself a transgressor. You go back and visit that lion. It's not the devil. Forget the Flip Wilson theology, Geraldine. It wasn't the devil that made you do it. You did it to yourself. You went back. You make yourself a transgressor. Because the next thing you know, old feelings are going to begin to rise up again. Watch it. We make the same mistake Samson made. We go check out the lion. Just going to go check it out. I'm just visiting the Facebook page. I'm going to just like the photo on Instagram. That's a, uh-uh, you leave it alone. Leave the lion alone. Don't go back and visit that lion. Amen. I heard her real bad. I just want to see how she's doing. Leave the lion alone. Come on, help me. Leave the lion alone. Amen. There's also a strong element of pride here. Judges 14 and 8 says he turned aside to see the lion he had killed. That was one of his problems. He never did give God glory for anything God did in his life. Hello, somebody. We don't even read where he once gave God praise for what he had done in helping Samson kill the lion. And so he gets to this lion and he has to stoop down and lower himself to look in the carcass. And there's some honey in it. And he reaches into the lion and gets some honey. Tell somebody, leave the honey alone. You're not hearing me. I know it's sweet, but leave the honey alone. You don't need it because it's in the carcass of a dead lion. 
One of your vows of separation is don't touch what's dead. You're looking for lion. You're looking for honey, but you got to touch a dead lion to get it. Amen. Amen. He reached for what the lion had to offer when he should have been going the other direction. No matter how sweet it is. I told you I might not see you ever again, but you will remember the sermon today. High five somebody and say, leave the honey alone. Now I'm going to go a little bit more in the right direction and be even more plain. Leave the honeys alone. I'm talking about the six foot three Hulk honeys. I'm talking about the five foot eight shaped honeys that... You say, but you don't understand. My wife doesn't look like she used to. She had an hourglass figure and since then all the sand has run to the bottom. Leave the honeys alone. And there you are with Chester drawer disease. Your chest has fallen down into your drawers and you're complaining about her shape. Forgive me. Y'all pray for me. I I told you I'm going to be plain today. And the truth is, Samson hooked up with a honey far more dangerous than that lion. Her name was Delilah. How do you overcome temptation? To avoid temptation, there are some things you shouldn't do. I'm going to give you some things you shouldn't do. Number one, avoid inappropriate looks. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Amen. Listen, can I talk to you guys? When your wife sees you looking up and down a woman, you're communicating the wrong thing. Oh, it got real quiet. And I thought the ladies would be on their feet when I said that. Amen. You just had that conversation last night. That's why you quiet sitting out there, sister. Amen. If your wife says, I don't like the way that woman stares at you, listen to her, guys. Don't say with that little smug, you know, sense of, you know, you got your chest puffed out. You look like T.D. Jakes when you walk. And when she gets out of the room, boom. Listen. When your wife says she don't like the, doesn't like the way that woman looks at you, listen to her. And ladies, when a, your husband tells you, I don't like the way that guy talks to you, you need to listen to him. Men know men. And it may be flattering, but somebody's running game on you. Number two, avoid inappropriate speech. Proverbs 5, 3, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she's as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Proverbs 2, 16, 17, wisdom will save you from the immoral woman and from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. She has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before God. 
avoid this conversation and don't let anybody talk to you this way. Words like, I hope your wife appreciates you. You're a very special man. Or, ladies, you're not only brilliant, but you're beautiful too. I hope your husband knows how wonderful you are. Oh, that's so flattering. He's running game on you. That's exactly what he's doing. He's checking it out to see if there's an open door. He's watching what your signal will be. Amen. You know what he needs to hear on the other end of the line? This caller is not available. Amen. Proverbs 2, 17 tells me you can also break the covenant of marriage in ways other than in having sex with someone that isn't your spouse. Look at it. She ignores the covenant she made. How? With the seductive words of a promiscuous woman. Long before there is a physical affair, this is the way that it goes. Inappropriate looks, inappropriate speech. And then the next thing you know, you're in trouble. Avoid inappropriate touch as well. Proverbs 7, 13. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, and it goes on to quote her. Listen, everybody say this with me. There is a time to embrace, say it. And there's a time to refrain from embracing. Oh, just let me rub your shoulders for you. I I know you've been going through a lot lately. That's a line you better leave alone. That's honey that's going to cost you something right there. Amen. Avoid inappropriate places as well. Proverbs 2.18. Entering her house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The man who visits her is doomed. He will never reach the paths of life. Not only are there looks you should avoid, not only is there conversation you should avoid, not only are there touches you should avoid, there are places that are inappropriate as well. If Joseph had walked into the room where he knew Potiphar's wife was undressed, Because she had undressed and was waiting for him. If he knew that and said, I'm going to just walk in there and take a look, but I'm not going to stay. Uh-uh. That story would have ended differently. Hello, somebody. Some places you don't need to go. Number five, avoid inappropriate meetings. Don't go have coffee with somebody or just plan to have a drink or or, or, or go to a movie. We're just friends. That's all. It is right now, but let's see where it's going. Amen. Oh, I needed an amen right there, and I didn't get one. And that tells me some of you have allowed friendships to go a little bit further than you should. Uh-uh, look, you draw a line. If I'm going to socialize, you know who it's going to be with? The woman I've been married to all these years. That, that's who I'm going to 
associate with. Number six, avoid inappropriate attainment, entertainment. I don't have time to read this. Read it at home, Proverbs 7, verses 6 through 20. But he says, while he was at the window of his house looking through the curtain, he saw some young naive men and one in particular who lacked common sense. And he crossed the street near the house of an immoral woman and she approached him, oh Lord, do I dare deal with this one, seductively dressed. Mm, Go to the next verse, seductively dressed. Hello, somebody. Ladies, help us out here. Look, you ought to be dressing for your husband, not for other men. I I realize we live in a, how dare you? I went to Christian Tabernacle on Sunday morning and they told me I can't wear stuff so tight that you can see everything I've got. No, you can wear it. Just go ahead. But you're going to be responsible for the consequences of what happens after it's all over. And then women, listen to me, please. Women want to complain because they're treated like sex objects in Hollywood. Yes, that's how they were acting. I'm not contoning the behavior of some of these men and their boar hog lust, but listen to me. preach here today can I preach can I preach if you're not for sale take the sale sign off the Bible says this In verse 21, she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. Number seven, avoid inappropriate action. Watch it again. Avoid inappropriate looks. It starts there. Inappropriate speech. Avoid also inappropriate touch, inappropriate places, inappropriate meetings, inappropriate entertainment. Why are you watching some of that stuff you watch in your home? You need to put a child block on your own TV for you. Just because the culture says it's okay doesn't mean it is. Do you understand what that's doing to you? Amen. And I'm not legalistic. I'm just, I'm just cautioning you. And then you, you're going to come counsel me. I don't know why I'm dealing with this in my life. And my marriage is in trouble. And I'm addicted to pornography. Avoid inappropriate actions. They will inevitably lead to painful consequences. Proverbs seven twenty two through 27, he followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag or a deer caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. Amen. And then it says in verse 25, don't let your heart stray toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. Guys, I want to warn you about something. Men, you listen to me. I'm going to talk to you right now. It can start out as a flirtation, but before you know it, your heart is involved. Ladies, it can start out as a flirtation, but before you know it, your heart is involved. Amen. Don't let your heart stray. Say it. Don't let your hearts stray. The outcome is always predictable. A train wreck is in the making. Amen. You and your family will be crushed like you saw the little family here.
Not only are there things you shouldn't do, but I close with things you should do to avoid temptation. Number one, listen. Proverbs 5, 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom and listen to my wise counsel. One of the problems is, is that every generation seems to have to learn things the hard way. Listen, those of you that are younger, listen to the advice of some people that have been around long enough that if they haven't lived it themselves, they've seen others who have done it. Number two, show discernment. Proverbs 5, 2. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. Behind the temptation's tavern, behind pornography, behind the girl silhouetted in the window here, behind all of this display of sex and allurement and lust, you need to know there are spirits. And whenever God blessed Israel and they built altars to pagan gods, it wasn't just an altar made of metal and wood. There was a spirit standing behind that thing. Don't allow yourself to be connected to demonic forces. Amen. Number three, how do you, what do you do? I've talked about what you shouldn't do. I'm now giving you seven things you should. Stay away. Say, stay away. Proverbs 5, 3 through 14. I don't even have time to to read it all. But in verse 8, it says, stay away from her. Say it, stay away. Don't go near the door of her house. I'm just going to text and see how she's doing. You know, I just drive by where she works. I'm going to go see if she's standing out in the yard. What, did I just hit a nerve or something? You don't think pastor knows about stuff like this. I live in my holy tower and I don't see what goes on down on the streets. Oh yeah, I do. Amen. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. And you will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Number four, be faithful. I'm closing. Proverbs 5, 15. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You didn't even know that was in your Bible. You should reserve it for yourselves. I'll let you define what it is. Never share it with strangers, okay? I'm talking plain to you. Tell somebody, leave the honey alone. Would you do it? Don't defile yourself by touching things that are dead. Be faithful. Number five, consider your spouse to be your blessing. Proverbs 5, 18. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Stop complaining about what God gave you as a husband or a wife. Start bragging on them and watch them be transformed right in front of your very eyes. Jerry and I this month will be married 51 years and I want to tell you we've reached a sweet place in life yeah hooray for me hooray for her amen I can say it that's right but listen to me right now you say pastor you've never had rough places (laughs) amen you ever thought about divorce no but murder on many an occasion amen I've been at the point where, and she has too, we're ready to Google Holy Spirit Field Hitman in the Houston area. Are you available for a private contract? 
I had to get beyond all of that. And she did too. That she is my greatest blessing. Did you hear that? My greatest blessing. The reason some of you are in trouble in your marriage right now is you're calling your wife a problem. Stop calling her a problem. Call her a blessing. Hello, somebody say it. A blessing. Number six, rejoice with your spouse. Proverbs 5, 18, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Have fun. If you're going to laugh with anybody, do it with her or him. Number seven, be captivated with your own companion. Proverbs 5, 19 through 20. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast, oh Lord, cover your eyes. You're going to get embarrassed here. Satisfy you always. May you always be captivated captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breast of a promiscuous woman? That means porno too. All you're doing is awakening passions that will separate you from the one that God gave you that is supposed to satisfy your physical need. Turn to somebody and say, leave the honeys alone. Would you do that? Leave them alone. 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 Amen. Stand with me. I'm done.